0: Welcome to the Redevelopment Institute podcast, where we look at how to rebuild America through the promotion of best practices, education, and technical assistance, and creating communities and neighborhoods that are both environmentally and economically sustainable. Welcome, everyone. My name is Leslie Parrish, and I'll be your host for today's Redevelopment Institute podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Today, I'm really excited and grateful to have Chris Gibbons as my guest. Chris is the founder of the National Center for Economic Gardening. Economic Gardening has helped promising locally owned companies across the U.S. and actually across the world to intelligently tap into new markets, grow their businesses, and create new job opportunities for their communities. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you. You know, economic gardening wasn't an economic development strategy that I was initially familiar with. I knew of, you know, traditional approaches to serve really large national and even multinational companies and entice them to relocate to your area. And then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, efforts to help small businesses serve a local market, so maybe a coffee shop or a flower store that's down on Main Street. This concept of economic gardening is really interesting to me though because it kind of hits in the middle where the focus is on emerging local companies with high growth potential that are serving regional national or even global markets so you know chris first i'd love for you to describe what economic gardening is to our audience
1: well your description is a nice short description it is the idea that you can grow your own economies locally by working with local companies, but in particular with stage two companies, and that's those companies that are in that high growth uh, mode. And uh, we've got lots of experience with it. Um, it's, uh, it's well proven. We've been doing this, I don't know, maybe 35 years at this point. Uh, but it was all built around this idea that um, we could grow an economy working with local companies.
0: Great. And can you Little bit about how this economic gardening movement got started. You said, you know, it's um, been going on for about 35 years. So, you know, can you give us some history behind how you developed this concept and what the catalyst was?
1: Absolutely. I was working in Littleton, Colorado at the time. The major uh, employer was a manufacturer, Lockheed Martin. And back then, so this was 1987. Uh, this is when uh, the Cold War was coming to an end, Russia, USSR was collapsing, the Berlin Wall was coming down. Martin uh, Lockheed Martin uh, builds missiles outside of the uh, city limits of Littleton. And while there was this discussion it was going to be this big peace dividend, um, we were in the war business. <laughs> and so um, Lockheed Martin laid off uh, about 7,500 people. They had 15,000 people working out there, and they laid off about half of that workforce. Our city council at the time said, as good as a corporate citizen as they were, they were kind of controlling our economy. And they were based out of Bethesda, Maryland, you know, 1,500 miles away. And that council wanted more local control over our local economy. And they gave us uh, direction. To go work with local businesses to create good jobs they didn't want hamburger flipping jobs that's the only direction we ever got we didn't have any experience we didn't have anybody to talk to we didn't have any models to work off of we kind of had to uh, do this out of whole cloth made lots of mistakes on that front end um, but we uh, worked with really smart people all across the country uh, one of them was paul romer who won the nobel uh, prize for economics uh, about a year ago um, people out of MIT and out of Harvard, and uh, eventually put together what today is economic gardening.
0: And one thing um we should mention is this is targeted to a specific group of companies that are you know really showing promise of being able to live to deliver products at scale, um whatever those products or services may be, um well outside just that local um community. Can you talk a little bit about the specific type of companies that are most appropriate for this approach?
1: Yes, we have uh, criteria uh, to uh, stage two, which we defined it ourselves, but they had to be 10 to 100 employees. That means they weren't, uh, you know, startups. They weren't small mom and pops. They had already uh, got established, but they had to have one to $50 million in sales. So they had, you know, some uh, proof of, you uh, Management and some proof of market both of those factors. They had to sell outside the community We were working in so export doesn't necessarily export to Europe or China But just sell outside the community because that's what brings the money back into the community and uh, They had to have this orientation toward uh, growth and scaling Uh, if they meet those criteria, then we're off and running
0: great and Can you talk a little bit about um, how you went from, you know, starting this initiative, kind of framing it out in Littleton, to now having this National Center for Economic Gardening? I'd love to hear more about your organization and how you offer your services to companies really around the country and maybe beyond the U.S.
1: Okay, I'll break that into two parts, how we got started and then today. Um, the, when we first started this, uh, I don't know exactly how people were finding out about us, but it kind of got out in the network of the economic development people. And uh, we had probably 800-some communities either came to Littleton or called us up or I went there. Uh, and then we started winning awards, um, started winning national awards, started getting invitations, uh, not only all over the country, but actually all over the world. in had invitations from seven foreign countries, everywhere from Norway to Australia. Um, and over that period of time, uh, the term kind of became generic. Uh, this is maybe over a 10-year period of time. Um, started winning awards. We were a finalist in the Harvard's Innovation Awards uh, program and uh, set up our own social media. Have, we've had our own uh, listserv for since probably 96, 97, about the time the internet came on. We're one of the oldest on the internet. Um, so the term spread all over the country and actually all over the world. And um, from that point, I uh, actually, so I'm working for the city of Littleton all this time. And uh, at about 10 years ago, I actually retired from Littleton. And at that point, because we had so many people ask us about this, When I was working at the city of Littleton, we couldn't help them. You know, we're happy to host them for a day and show them what we're doing, but we couldn't hold their hand and help them get a program started and get them trained and certified, et cetera. And so I set up the National Center when I retired with those objectives in mind, and that is uh, to get people up to speed and qualified for what we were doing. And then secondly, we set up a national team, so it looked uh, the same skills as I had at Littleton. Um, this national team could go to work almost immediately. All we had to do was sign a contract with an economic development agency. And, you know, within the next day, we were off and running.
0: Great. And can you give us a sense of your scale now um, for the National Center of Economic Gardening? You know, if you think through, I guess, the couple of decades, at least, um, that you all have been offering this services, you know, do you have a sense of how many companies you've worked with um, and kind of the impact of that?
1: Um, we do. Um, the, the scale is national. It's all across the country. We have asked, other countries have asked us to start us uh, programs there. I'm always a little bit nervous going to Japan, Australia, Canada, places like that, because the tools change, the laws change, or the time zone changes. There's a lot of other reasons um, that I don't work with international. But nationally, you know, we've got programs from Sacramento to North Carolina and from you know, Rochester, New York to uh, Arizona, it's all across the country, work with states, work with regions, work with local cities. Um, I estimate that we've probably had about 3,500 engagements at this point over that long time period, that 35-year period. Um, I've seen a lot of companies uh, work with a lot of growth companies over, during that time period. Well,
0: that's a good segue because I'm wondering, you know, as you look out across all those engagements you've had with many different types of companies, what are some of the keys to making an engagement with a company successful, both, you know, from your point of view, in terms of what the services you can offer, but also, you know, what a company is bringing to the table. Um, what's, what are kind of the most, le- the key things to um, ensure their success with your program?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, the, the very first thing is those vetting criteria. They, they have to meet those sales and, and, Revenue criteria because that puts you in a different world. You're not worried about survival anymore. You know if you're if you're under those uh, thresholds, uh, most of what you worry about every day is just staying alive and getting more sales. But once you start growing, the whole tone and tenor of, of what you're doing in the business changes. So the betting criteria are absolutely first, and particularly the idea that you need to export. A lot of people say, "Well, is this around high technology?" I mean. Uh, you know can is that the only kind of companies you work with? And we say that's not our criteria. Our criteria is that you sell externally and bring money into town. And I always tell people, you know, Mrs. Fields made um, chocolate chip cookies, but she was bringing money into town. So anybody, it does not matter what the industry is, what it matters is their size and whether they're they're selling externally. But once we uh, meet those folks, we need these kind of commitments from the CEO, and that is we need your full attention and you, the CEO, we need you to be involved because we're going to provide you critical strategic information of which you're going to make decisions about. We work as staff to you. We're not consultants. We're not counselors. We're staff. And just like any good staff, you're going to turn and ask us questions, big uh, picture, strategic kinds of questions, and we're going to go research it. A lot of it is around markets, around competitor intelligence around industry trends all of those kinds of areas but during that uh, time period which is typically going to run maybe four or six weeks depending on how busy everybody is is that w- when we call and we email we need you to get back to us we need your full attention and we need you to have everybody that's going to be involved in this in that first session we call it a discovery call um, we, we don't want your marketing uh, VP coming in halfway through and not knowing who we are and and how we got here and what we're trying to do. Everybody's going to be involved in this, needs to be involved. So if we get those kind of commitments and the time that we need from the folks, generally the projects are going to be successful.
0: Great. And um, just a follow-up on that. I know um, know, you're you're based in Colorado. Um, These companies are all over the country. How do you find companies that want to participate and are a good fit for this. Do you work with um, local or state organizations kind of on the ground to identify promising companies or do companies come directly to you? How does that work?
1: It's the latter of what you described. We contract with economic development agencies and they can be at any scale. You know, They can be a town or a community, a city, uh, a lot of them, uh, Rochester being a good example, they're regional. It, there's a 10-county region around them. Sacramento's it's, it's sort of like that. Uh, but they can also be state, state of Virginia, state of North Carolina. Uh, there's a number of states that are running programs around the country. It's, it's their job to find and bet those companies and then bring them to us with, and then we pick them. That, you know, they're on the ground. They they have uh, firsthand experience. They, they generally know the people. They've been inside the businesses. They know who's qualified. So they're a real important you know partner aspect of what we're doing uh, is to find and vet those companies. Once they bring them to us, then our process starts. And at the end, we turn them back over to the economic development agencies because we don't do implementation. We're, we'll go through those websites and do search engine optimization and all the various uh, things that we do and point out that uh, where the shortcomings are are and shortfalls and, but we're not going to go in and, and code those websites i'd be coding and running 3500 businesses if i did that so we don't do implementation turn it back over to the, the local economic development agency.
0: perfect thanks you know we've been talking kind of at a high lo- high kind of conceptual level about economic gardening and how it works I'm wondering if we can turn a bit now and talk about a specific example of maybe a company or two that you've worked with, you know, how they were introduced to the program, why they were interested in it, why they were a good fit, what the process looked like for them, and what kind of results that they've been seeing.
1: Let me give you an example of two kinds of companies that were at the opposite ends of the spectrum to give you a feel for Uh, the kind of work we do all across the board. One of them is a company down in Richardson, Texas, and they were an atomic precision manufacturing company. And what that means is they placed atoms and made stuff. And we didn't even know that was an industry at the time. Uh, They wanted us to go out and uh, there were very specific, particularly DOD, Department of Defense, kinds of companies Uh, that they did work for, and and they wanted to find out competitive intelligence and find out where markets were for them. At the other end of the spectrum uh, was a woman in a a very small town in Kansas, uh, probably under 2,500 people, Uh, and she made porch banners. And these are, uh, you know, you've seen them hang on the porch, American flags, daffodils, those kind of things. It couldn't be any simpler in terms of a product. But the key thing was she was bringing money into town because she was selling these all up and down the East Coast, and we uh, went out and looked at the neighborhoods. We had her her, uh, customer list and looked at the uh, uh, lifestyles within the neighborhoods that she was selling, and went back to her and said, "Look, it looks you're selling to about five different kinds of lifestyles. We know where those are all across the country. Would you like?" To know that you know know that where they are and that list it was a no-brainer kind of thing and uh, we have the databases of, a, of about 65 different kinds of lifestyles scattered all across the country we know them by neighborhood um, from our standpoint you know once you have that kind of sophisticated tool it's relatively easy to show her so we gave her that list um and Probably, I I think it was maybe three to four months, she'd already hired six people simply because she was able to go in specifically to the neighborhoods uh, that were buying what she offered. Let me give you a couple other examples, too. Um, One of them is uh, what they did was they did the DNA uh, work for uh, floppy eared bomb sniffing dogs and there's a couple of key elements in there, is they needed to have uh, floppy ears like beagles. If they had sharp ears like a German Shepherd, uh, people get real nervous uh, when you're in an airport and a German Shepherd starts come sniffing around you. When a floppy-eared dog comes around, everybody wants to pet it, and so you spend most of your time keeping people from petting the dog. But they had to have the DNA and the breeding that they could sniff out bomb materials. So they wanted to know what that market was, how big, who's uh, buying these kinds of dogs. As it turns out, one of our tools is a network mapping tool and the center of the universe happened to be down in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, There was a lot of stuff that was related to military training, but also police training of these dogs. And so we were able to tell them, you know. If you want to get to the center of the universe, first of all, you got to get down to San Antonio. And then secondly, we identified all these agencies and and contact people who would be interested in these kinds of dogs. The, the, let me give you one last example. Uh, this is a very recent company. We just started working with them. They're in West Virginia, and everybody knows the West Virginia story and the coal mining issues, et cetera. So they're very interested in creating additional economic base, Not not- or it's, it's and, coal mining and. And so this company was a software company and they made software for uh, trucks. And one of the things they did is called air uh, scales, weigh scales. And it has the ability to tell you the weight of the load. As you know, you've probably seen the, the weights uh, weigh stations uh, off the interstate highways and they make sure you're not over a certain amount so you don't tear up the highways. Well, if you are over a certain amount, you gotta go back to where you picked up the load and unload part of it. It's extremely expensive to have to do that. And they built a system that that weighs the actual weight of the trailer by the compression down on the wheels. And they had uh, this software that had uh, a lot of other aspects to it. But one of the things they were interested in is what are the issues that truckers are interested in? So we went through all the CDOT records, all of the Department of Transportation records and found out what were the major things that people were getting cited for and where. And then we drew a map of that. And Texas popped out in bright red (laughs) as being the place where most of the activity was going on. So we went into Texas. and As it turns out, they had new regulations and new uh, enforcement programs that they just brought online. Plus, there's a ton of traffic going in and out of Texas. So it allowed them to get focused on, first of all, where the problems were, and secondly, who was needing software to handle the problems that were coming up. So those are all just examples of what I'm trying to do is to give you the extent and scope of the kinds of companies we work with but also the kinds of problems we work with and the kind of sophistication that we bring to these people to be able to allow them to operate like uh, you know big enterprise operations most of our clients are in the 10 20 30s every once in a while you know we'll get up to that 100 employee range but most of them are very small companies and they don't have access to these kinds of tools but they need it just as bad as the big boys do Um, a lot of times they don't even know they exist, but that's what we bring to the table.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm really struck by just how versatile your tools really are and how you can reach, you know, very different. Like you were highlighting, I love that you gave such a wide range of companies and kind of the services that they offer and products. It's a really interesting approach. You know, we'll probably have people that are listening now that are from local or state economic development agencies or business owners that are saying, hey, I, I fit into this profile. I, I could qualify for this type of program. And so I'm wondering, you know, what's the first step if a community or an org- organization wants to learn more about economic gardening and potentially working with you?
1: Don't contact me, um, I've, I've got an email address. Uh, it's uh, C Gibbons, C G I B B O N S at economicgardening.org. O-R-G. The very first step is to hold a phone conversation just to make sure you know we we understand each other, what your issues are, and, and is you really understand what our program's about. From that, we contract with the economic development agency. It's a very clean, simple little contract. It calls for uh, usually doing a pilot project of five companies. We we recommend people, you know, put your toe in the water, make sure you see and understand what it is we're doing before you make a big commitment. Don't get too far out on a limb here with a lot of money without understanding what it is. We go through uh, five engagements, five companies in that pilot project. At the end of that, we sit down and we say, okay, you you, you can listen in on the calls. You can see the reports we're producing, go talk with the CEOs, see how they responded to all of this and then what do you think do uh, you want to expand it is it not what you thought it was going to be do you want to shut it down uh, do you want to set it up full time um, usually because we're in public agencies that takes a little bit of time because you're in an annual uh, budgeting cycle and, and sometimes you have uh, you know political people making the decisions. so you got an elected council or uh, you know a board of supervisors at the county level or whatever and So first of all, they got to know and understand it themselves and then they got to vote on it. But that's all a standard, you know, public budgeting process. The key to it is just give me a call or shoot me an email and uh, we'll get started.
0: Great. And just want to um, remind our listeners. So it's the National Center for Economic Gardening. Uh, the website is economicgardening.org. And Chris Gibbons is cgibbons at economicgardening.org. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank everyone for listening to this edition of the Redevelopment Institute podcast. And Chris, you know, a huge thanks to you for the discussion on economic gardening. I really enjoyed having the opportunity to speak with you and to learn more.
1: Thank you, Leslie. It's good to talk to you also.
0: Um, You know, we have a couple articles on economic gardening on the Redevelopment Institute website. And Chris has a ton of detailed resources on the National Center for Economic Gardening website. so definitely uh, would encourage everyone to go there. Um, two things if, if I wanted to highlight, if anyone really wants to get into the weeds on this topic, um, Chris has an ebook on economic gardening on his website as well as a great webinar that you can watch on demand. Please join us soon for another Redevelopment Institute podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast. And for more information and resources, visit our website at redevelopmentinstitute.org.